Welcome to the Neanderthal Mind, bringing you riveting, educational, humorous, and sometimes serious perspectives on how our Neanderthal ancestors' will to survive still has a profound effect on our modern mind, body, and soul. Take a journey with us as we roll back the clock thousands of years to discuss all aspects of our Neanderthal ancestors. All right, my fellow cave dwellers, if you're ready, let's get this wheel rolling. Now here's your host and the leader of the pack, Anthony Yokolano. All right, cave dwellers, I'm not going to waste time with an intro to this next episode. You already know who it is by the title of the episode. So, without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show as we sit down once again with everyone's favorite author, E.A. Meigs. I will see you on the flip side, cave dwellers. Oh, and you're welcome for not wasting your valuable ear time and for bringing Meg back to you. Well, Meg, welcome back. I, I, man, I appreciate well, thank you. Thank you so much for yeah. having me. Absolutely. So let's, uh, you know, like we did before, let's uh, let's start with... Uh, you know, tell our community a little bit, a little bit about yourself, uh, you know, in case uh, nobody went back and listened to the uh, previous episodes. Uh, if you just want to touch on a little bit about yourself. All righty. Um, I grew up in a small New England town. Some looked sort of like it came out of a Norman Rockwell painting. Um, my dad was a commercial fisherman, backyard boat builder, and an avid outdoorsman. So I was exposed to uh, to boats and working on boats and the natural world from a young age. Um, I've got a, a a long and varied career history. Um, not only working on boats and in the commercial fishing industry, but I also worked at a museum of natural history. I worked for Fish and Wildlife. I worked for uh, forestry. Um, as I got older and wanted something a little less physical to do, I um, I started um, doing some writing and editing. I uh, worked for uh, Prime Time and for Patch.com. I was managing editor of an academic journal. And uh, now I've got this book series. Yes, yes. And we are going to get to that. Uh, you know what? The first thing I want to start with, though, is how about the little experience, a little bit about your experience with, uh, say, Neanderthals or early hominids or whatever it might be, if you want to if you wanted to jump into that early experience um well prior to starting this series i've always had an interest in um history and science and anthropology in particular um i read everything i i came across but um i didn't really start researching um early humans in earnest until i started the series in uh early 2015. Now, so what, how about with, um, was, when did your experience with Neanderthal start? Like, when did you, when did you get into that? Um, you know, when did you start that path, I guess? Well, I, again, other than a general interest, I didn't really start researching until early 2015. Um, 
when I started writing the series, I didn't have the the project in mind. It was just a very sudden thing. Um, I didn't begin with the idea that, oh, I'm going to write a series about Neanderthals. I just all of a sudden one day I, I woke up and the book series from start to finish was in my head and I've had a uh, compulsion to write it ever since. So the last, what, six years now, I've been steadily um, getting the, the books out of my head and into book form. And uh, doing copious amounts of research, I do a minimum of an hour a day, not because I, I set a timer and say, okay, I'm going to do an hour today. It's just how much I end up, I seem to end up doing, just doing my, whatever research is needed um, for uh, whatever part of the book I'm working on at that time. Gotcha. Yeah. And I apologize because I kind of asked you that question twice. But when did your journey start? But for some reason, I had it on here twice, but just worded differently. So I confused okay. myself. <laughs> <laughs> so I apologize for that. No but hey, the, the second answer was a little more in-depth and I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the other one, the, another question before we get into uh, uh, your Dreamer series and everything. So with I guess with all your research, what, what do you think, at least uh, according to you, what do you think has been the most significant discovery in recent days, months, or years with, you know, in regards to Neanderthals? You know, what, what seemed to be more, most significant to you? Most significant to me would be the discovery of a small segment of um, twisted twine, um, to me, that just opens up uh, a huge world of possibilities. You know, it was just a tiny strand of um, three-ply twisted twine, but, and we don't know how it was used, but like I say, it opens up a world of possibilities. Um, you know, were they uh, making nets? You know, did they have uh, fiber technologies? Um, you know, were they knitting socks? I don't know. <laughs> it was, uh, um, it, it just uh, goes to show that uh, that they were more technological, um, technologically advanced than we had previously known. I mean, we could guess at their um, capabilities, but three-ply uh, three twisted twine is... Um, you know, a significant find in my mind. It just, you know, and, and I think we've talked before too, it's just the, the more I go through, you know, this uh, journey on this, this podcast, I guess it, I, I'm just like everyone else, you know, there was a lot of stereotypes in my head about Neanderthals, but, and I don't understand why we have that misnomer or that stereotype that they were just boneheaded idiots that <laughs> didn't know how to do anything. I mean, they, they survived for hundreds of thousands of years. How, do, how, how do we not understand that they were very intelligent and, you know, f technically advanced for their time, obviously. Um, it just still baffles me to this day that we all, you know, at least from what I've heard, you know, just, there's just still that stereotype out there that they just had no clue on how to live life, even though they lived for hundreds of thousands of years. 
Right. Well, I, I, I would guess it's just because we have so little evidence about what their lives were like. Uh, most of the materials they would have used just don't stand the, te- you know, the tests of time. They, uh, you know, wooden, uh, natural fibers, um, you know, animal hides, most of that, most of those materials just would not have survived the tens of thousands of years. And so what we have is their fossilized remains and, uh, and stone tools. And it's, you know, it's just not a lot to look at. (laughs) So, and I've asked this question before as well with others that I've interviewed. So in, in your mind and your thoughts, do you think it would maybe broaden our scope of research if we started to look at them as more intelligent than what has been typically thought? Uh, you know, would you would you think that that would you know we would find a lot more things about them if we broadened our perspective of how they lived? Uh, well, as a you know, a, a person who is not a formal scientist, um, you know, I, I know that scientists really have to look at the hard evidence, and sometimes it's hard to be taken seriously um, in the scientific fields if you um, sort of look at the conditions that they survived and how long they survived and um, come up with your own theories about what it would have taken to survive all those conditions and um and like I said be taken be taken seriously because you know that's generally not science you know to just sort of extrapolate from what little we know and come up with the um theories when we really don't have any evidence to back it up other than that they survived through some just incredibly brutal conditions yeah i guess the for me the i'm I'm, I'm really not sure how how recent this discovery is so again a stereotype of uh, neanderthals and that's kind of why i call my cave dweller community is you know we, we kind of just thought that they lived mostly in caves in a sense until and again i'm not sure how recent that discovery was where now they found an area where there's like holes in the rocks that you know might have been uh, areas that they put posts into the ground and maybe strapped hide around and made some kind of little hut you know like if we were thinking that they did that Previously, maybe we would have found that information sooner or, you know, it might have expanded the search as to, hey, you know, maybe they did this. Let's look for signs of this. So that's kind of what I was getting at with that. Right, right. Well, you know, I, I think that's absolutely true that uh, we do have to look in places other than caves. But I think part of that is hampered by the the depth that uh, has to be dug to actually find those things. Um you know, as uh, as debris and dirt and, you know, whatever builds up over their, their former home sites, um, you know, we could be talking about doing a lot of digging to, to find them. And it's sort of like a needle in a haystack, you know, where do you look? You know, it could potentially be 
be anywhere, but I think that we do have to assume that they were largely open air dwelling peoples. Um, there's just, I don't think enough caves to house everybody. Um, and they would have had to compete with a local wildlife for those caves who also would have wanted them for a home. And uh, I don't know if caves are necessarily a really comfy place to live anyway. <laughs> so, you know, they, they probably would have been a place to get out of the weather. Um, maybe even to hunker down for the winter if you really needed a secure place to live. Um, after all, um, you know, they suspect that um, Ice Age era Europe was a, a, a pretty windy place. And whether your um, open air dwelling would survive a, a winter, I don't know. But, um, you know, they evidently found a way of, of coping with it. And it may have been occasionally hunkering down in a cave, but I don't think that they typically lived in caves. Yeah, I know there's something recently, too, because uh, I think I belong to most of the uh, uh, communities or whatever that, that you, you, you as well belong to. And, um, you know, on, on Facebook, I should say. And uh, there was something recently about, you know, maybe they hibernated like almost like bears did for the wintertime, you know. So and that kind of when they talk about that, it, it reminds me of, you know, your, your dreamer series, which we're about to get into. Um, the one other question I wanted to ask you before we got into that is what sources did you use for your research to create your series? And then also, I know you had mentioned uh, you gained a lot of experience in researching uh, with a prior job that you had. So I don't know if you want to touch on any of that. Um. Yeah, I, I pretty much read everything I can get my hands on. Um, I, I try to get most of my information from scientific papers because I think that they are the, the best sources. But even so, you really have to assess them carefully um, before you decide on how much credence to give to the information. When I was managing editor of an academic journal, um, it really opened my eyes to the, the publication process and what it involves to get these papers published. Um, for our publication, it was a minimum nine months from the time a paper was submitted to the time it was published and, uh, you know, going through the peer review process and all that. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I learned how to look at a paper, look for fresh insight, um, look at the, uh, the resources cited, were they current, where were the resources uh, published, because um, in the academic world, there's a publisher parish, you know, um, frame of mind that, uh, you know, uh, academics are, I shouldn't say, I shouldn't generalize, uh, some academics are required to publish a, a certain amount of work um, within a certain period as part of their job description. And so, they may be putting out papers just to get something published as part of that requirement, but they may not be terribly insightful. They uh, may not be um, terribly current information. They may be um, published in a uh, journal that will pretty much accept everything because they um, they are looking to 
attract publishing material just to fill out their journal. So you have to look at the source um, and look for papers that have current information. Um, it still amazes me to see things being put out on the internet that are based on old information and outdated, um, long outdated information, I should say. Um, you know, things that have been pretty much disproved a decade or more ago, but they're still putting it out there like it's uh, current science and it's, it's just not. Um, so I try to look at my resources pretty carefully. And you know, plus I have to keep in mind that something that is a current theory today, there may be some discovery tomorrow that just completely turns it upside down. <laughs> so, you know, you just have to uh, uh, be prepared that uh, and know that things change pretty frequently. And, you know, it's all good. I'm yeah, always we, glad to hear about discoveries. We talked about that uh, on the first um, uh, interview where, you know, and I, I was couldn't figure out how, you know, if you write the book and then, you know, you get it published and then the next thing you know, there's some discovery that might uh, uh, change the whole dynamic of your story, but heck, your story is already out there. So now what do you do, you know? <laughs> right, that, right. You just have to write in that, those new facts <laughs> to make it part <laughs> of the story. But yes, that, that has happened. <laughs> <laughs> Which uh, is, have to go with it. Sure. Yeah. Which is a good thing and a, and a bad thing in a sense, you know, but it's a good because it's a lot, you know, more discoveries and, uh, you know, more interesting finds to, to tell us about our ancestors, but then it's a bad thing because <laughs> then you got to try and fit it into the book somehow, you know, so. Right, right. And I do add a disclaimer um, in the uh, introduction to the book that they're not intended to be um, scientifically accurate. You know, I do the best I can with the best information I have at the time, <laughs> but uh, they might not be 100% at the time the reader is reading it. Yeah, but they're, they're absolutely fantastic. And I hope, you know, that uh, there's been a lot more purchases of your series, because I, I think it's just fantastic series. So, well, let's, uh, with that, let's get into it. So the Dreamer series, huh? how about uh, a little rundown about uh, the Dreamer series? Uh, a brief rundown would be that um, it takes place in Europe during the last ice age, and it uh, chronicles the life of a young Neanderthal man. I don't know how in-depth you want me to get that. <laughs> okay, sorry. <laughs> I thought you were taking a breath or a sip or something. So I, was just no. <laughs> I do have my cup of tea, but no, I was uh, just didn't know how in-depth you wanted me to get. And I also try to be very uh, cautious about uh, spoilers. Spoiling. Yeah, yeah. We don't want, yes. definitely don't want to do that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but basically, you just kind of follow the life of, um, uh, darn it, forgot his name. What's Chris. the... Uh, Yes, Chris, yes. The main character. <laughs> yes, apologize for that. I forgot his name. But uh, so basically, you just kind of follow follow him uh, through his life journey. Right. And then you also use some uh, factual uh, discoveries, I guess you could call them that, right, to uh, create almost yes. a almost. So you use non fictional finds to create almost a fictional story. 
I guess that's a good thing, right? Yes. <laughs> I mean, it sounds good. It works. Like okay. I said, it, it definitely yes. works. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Some of it is um, actually based on um, discoveries and uh, historical events. Yes. Awesome. And that's, I mean, that's like we've talked before. It's just, it's, it fascinates me and it's very intriguing and interesting to me that you use the factual information to create a story. Like it, it, it kind of, you know, leads me into, you know, the, the life of a Neanderthal just by the story that you tell, again, based on the facts that have been found. So I, that's pretty awesome. I like that a lot. Oh, thanks. So and now that you had mentioned the, the word Neanderthal, I had someone, I don't remember who it was, I was interviewing them and they were like, you know, I'm confused that, <laughs> you know, it's spelled Neanderthal. You know, we say Neanderthal, but, you know, the, this, this person I was interviewing, they were like, I, I just, I don't want to make anyone angry by calling, you know, by saying Neanderthal, if, if the correct enunciation is Neanderthal. So just because you had mentioned it, you, you prefer Neanderthal? I say Neanderthal, but I, frankly, I don't think it matters. Sure. <laughs> as long as you're talking you know, about... Potato, potato. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, they had asked me that, and, I, and that's what I said. I was, well, you know, through my interviews, it, it, it's kind of, you know, either way, really. It's nothing, you know, they don't right. get offended by saying Neanderthal, even though no. it's Neanderthal. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So anyway, so... Um, we still got some more, uh, another, another book coming out soon, or is it available yet for the dreamer? It's not available yet. I just got the book six manuscript back from the copy editor and I want to give her a plug. Um, my copy yes. editor is Julie Lipkin and she is wonderful. I couldn't do it without her. Um, uh, <laughs> she knows well, my punctuating skills are, are dismal. And, uh, she, uh, also, you know, in addition to doing the copy editing, she points out uh, some missing details. You know, when you've got a, a series and each book builds on the, the story, um, I try to make each book also uh, readable as a standalone book for in case, you know, a reader has not read the previous books. And there are times where she'll point out that I've mentioned something in a previous book as though the reader would know about that. <laughs> and I have to, you know, fill in some uh, missing backstory and uh, she'll point out information that I assume people know, but uh, she'll ask questions. And I know if she asks questions that that means uh, readers will ask questions and I know where I have to fill in a little bit more information. Um, I really try to avoid putting in too much information. When I um, wrote the first manuscript, I uh, read through the first draft. Um, this is going back to book one. The first draft of book one, I realized it read like an Ice Age survival manual with a little bit of a storyline <laughs> thrown in. And I thought, oh, nobody's going to want to read this. So I uh, edited out about a third of the book and um, it, it improved, improved the flow and hopefully included enough information to make the, uh, to make it seem realistic for the reader. But, uh, you know, uh, my copy editor is a, a, a big part of making it all come together as a uh, readable, readable story. And as I say, I, I couldn't do it without her. Um, but I've got the manuscript back now and I'm working on the final edits. And um, once I get it edited down, it'll be proofed and then it will um, 
go to layout and uh, go to the printer and get a hard copy proof. And if all goes well, it will be ready sometime this summer. It's, there's just a lot of work that goes into it that I don't think, uh, well, I mean, I guess everyone and anyone does think about it. And that's why there's not authors that <laughs> everywhere you turn, you know, but uh, I guess you don't realize the, the amount of work and research as well for especially something like this that, uh, you know, goes into creating a whole series of <laughs> even, you know. So, yeah, it's a lot of work, but I love it. Yeah, well, you, you kind of have to. There's, <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so then is it called Dreamer 6 or is that the Dreamer Book it's, 6? Um, the Dreamer 6, um, The Outsiders. Very good. And any uh, any hint towards what it'll be? If not, don't. that's okay. I know you don't want to give spoilers, so. Well, you know, the continuation of the story, it brings back the outsiders who were mentioned in the book too. Um, but say, I don't want to say too much. No, no, that's, yep, absolutely. <laughs> no, that's okay. That's okay. That's perfect. <laughs> they can uh, get a pretty good idea once they get to uh, book two, you know, it'll give you a general idea of what they may be coming back for. So, right. Well, and let's let's continue on. If that again, if that wasn't enough, um, you seem to want to punish yourself more by creating another series. <laughs> right. Well, this has been a iron in the fire for a long time. Um, I wanted to do a companion series for children, um, and the companion series uh, features the. Uh, the son of the main character in the adult series and it just kind of follows along his adventures and hopefully that'll appeal to kids yeah so um the son's name is fox fox very good yes. now you have uh it's children's series k-a-w what does uh ka okay what is that what does that mean if, if you're able to tell anything about what that means um ka is a crow oh gotcha okay <laughs> and it's actually a segment of the of book six so any gotcha. you know, adults who read book six will know what ka is all okay. about ka is going to the copy editor um as soon as i have it ready for her <laughs> so uh so it's it's in process oh my goodness so would the does the children's series flow a little easier in a sense because you already have, uh, you know, I guess a good background on the child? Did it, did it seem like that children's series flowed a little better? Oh, I'm not sure if I know how to answer that. Like in I, your mind, uh, it seemed like you were able to create this story a little bit easier uh, just because you've already kind of created it in the previous series. Right. Well, I, I guess, I, are you saying, um, am I, is it easier because the story is already written in the adult version and I'm just uh, making a children's version? Is that what you're asking? Some, something like that. Either way, you know, yeah. was, it, was it easier to write, you know, this children's series because of, you know, the, the, your experience and your research that, that went into the first series? 
well, it's easier in the sense that the story is, is already written and I don't have to think about it. But what's harder is that I have to change the language for children. I'm not a believer in dumbing things down for for kids, um, you know, with with my kids, I attempted not to dumb things down for them. I think kids are smart, and I think that that's how they learn new words. Um, but I also don't want to make it too difficult for kids to read either. So I've had to um, struggle a little bit with changing the language to words that are more child friendly without being too dumbed down. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah. No, that, that's exactly what I, I just, you know, that was just, that was just something going through my head, you know, was it, does it make it easier since you've already kind of had the basis of it? So very good. I appreciate that. Now, I know you wanted to maybe mention, and maybe that was uh, what you wanted to mention, but uh, something about some upcoming projects you have. Um, I do have some upcoming projects I, that I have not had time to uh, devote any energy to, but I would like to put out some, um, just some more books for kids, things, um, you know, activity books and that sort of thing. You wrote it down, so I just figured I'd, I'd ask you what uh, your upcoming projects might have been that you want to discuss. It's perfectly fine. So yeah, let's... sorry, I don't have more than that right now. No. <laughs> just, uh, another that's iron in the fire. Yeah, um, that's, that's quite all right. So let's talk about your uh, Dreamer Literary Productions. How's, uh, how's that going for you? Well, it's, you know, it's progressing along. It's like the books. It's a lot of work because, um, you know, as if writing the the books and publishing them and doing the illustrations isn't enough i have to actually run a business as well and promote the book so it's it's a lot of work but you know again i i love it and that's fine hope that that readers enjoy the books you know i i've always been a compulsive writer from the time i was a kid um this was my first foray into actually publishing my work and uh, I would be writing even if nobody ever read them, but you know, if people enjoy them, it just means the world to me. Now you wanted to mention something about, and I apologize for not asking you earlier when we were on the subject, but uh, uh, the role of women in the uh, Neanderthal society, I believe is what you wanted to talk about. Anything you wanted to yeah, I've read some articles recently talking about uh, whether or not uh, women hunted within uh, Neanderthal uh, clans and uh, been uh, struck that this is probably fairly unlikely. And I really don't like to make blanket statements because, um, you know, I think that there were certainly plenty of instances where they hunted because they had to. You know, if the, you know, if the male hunters were, were killed or injured and not able to hunt, they, you know, people, you got to do what you got to do. Somebody's, somebody still has to bring in food. I just don't think that it was a, um, a typical part of, uh, Neanderthal women's lives and, um, you know, and as, and aside from, whether or not they could or couldn't, I think that the uh, um, scientific data backs it up as well. Um, you know, and this is coming from the perspective of a person who worked in male-dominated industries until I uh, 
was about 40 years old. Um, and uh, from someone who's also about the size of a, the average Neanderthal woman who was, uh, they think was five foot to five foot one. Um, you know, I worked in the commercial fishing industry. I worked in boat yards. Um, and, uh, you know, just gave me a front row seat to seeing what the the men could do as opposed to what I could do. And I was, I was pretty strong for somebody my size. My nickname was Mighty Might. Um, <laughs> but there was, you know, there was just no way that I could compete with the, the guys strength-wise. Um, there was one time when I was working in the commercial fishing industry, there was a couple of 200-pound mushroom moorings. And, uh, you know, one of the guys just walked up to the two mushroom moorings and picked them up and carried them off like they were two suitcases. <laughs> like, holy moly. <laughs> you know, there's... Um, you know, men are just so much stronger than even a strong woman is. They have the the size advantage and uh, a strength advantage. Well, and that's um, that's just you know, it's uh, unfortunately some get offended by that, but that's just the biology of things. You know, it's it's just like in the Neanderthal days, like the the men went out and hunted. You know, and and the woman, you know it was necessary for her to raise the child in, in, court, in, in order for, you know, the society to, to grow and prosper and to be around for as long as it had to be around, you know? I mean, unfortunately, that's just, that's I, just reality. Yes, yes it is. <laughs> yes. Yeah, reality. It there, is. there shouldn't be any, you know, there shouldn't be any, uh, I don't know what word I want to use, but that was a, a mother's role was very important in, getting us to like, if it wasn't for a mother back in Neanderthal days, we would not be here today. <laughs> right. I mean, it's, right, just, right. it's just how it yes. goes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, and, and like you say, we do have to kind of step back from modern ideas of feminism and just look at, um, you know, what was uh, the probable reality for most people. And like I say, I don't want to say that no Neanderthal women hunted. Sure, Anybody right. who's read my books knows that, <laughs> you know, that I wrote about it happening yeah, under absolutely. certain circumstances. Um, but uh, I think that in general, um, they didn't. And I think that there's a, um, a number of scientific indicators that um, back that up. Um, one of the ways that science um, can tell and this is with today's information might change tomorrow <laughs> the is that you know what the, the role of men and women were within their social construct were um, the size of um the size differences of the sexes and neanderthal men on average were five or six inches taller than the women they um outweighed them on average probably at least 40 or 50 pounds this would indicate they were, um, you know, had different roles in their society. And also you uh, look at their fossilized remains and the, um, the men's remains showed that uh, their dominant arm was, uh, the bones were much thicker on their dominant arm. The size of the muscle attachments were, are much bigger on the dominant arm and um, showed signs that, you know, obviously their dominant arm was exerting um, just incredible 
um, force, you know, they were doing extreme heavy work with that dominant arm. And also their remains um, often show signs of severe trauma that's been compared to uh, like rodeo riders and uh, amputations, in fact, were unknown. These guys were living a, a tough life. You know, they were not only hunting, but while they're hunting, they're also in the position of potentially being the hunted. Right. You know, there were a lot of very large predators out there. Um, you know, they would have to fend off and that would be no small feat. Um, the women's remains, on the other hand, their, um, their arms are roughly equal. And um, they do not show signs of traumatic injury like the men do. And to me, that pretty much says that they were doing different things. And from a practical point of view, uh, you know, it's myself a, a mother, <laughs> you know, who's, uh, um, who's raised kids, you know, and um, you've got to think of, the, you know, any uh, young, strong woman is of childbearing age, she'd probably um has at least a couple of kids she's probably nursing at least one if not more at that time you know and they have to be nursed every four hours so you can't just you know you, you might be able to leave a babysitter home with the kids but you know they might not be, probably not be able to nurse your kids your grandma right. is not going to be able to help there <laughs> um so uh you know yeah. and and the other thing is that I'm sure women had more than enough to do with kids. And, you know, there was no going to the store and buying stuff. Everything had to be uh, harvested and assembled from scratch. And everything was so labor intensive that I don't think they had time. You know, I, I think that they may well have been, oh, my gosh, if I could just get a day away from me, you know, from the house, it would be great. But uh you know, I, I don't think they had time to do much other than survive. You know, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, raise the, the next generation and keep everybody fed and clothed. And it was yeah. just an incredible amount of work. And, and, and on the other hand, not to take anything away, because I'm sure the males helped in raising the children as well. I mean, it had to, you had to work together again in order to survive, oh, in yes. order to survive the hundreds of thousands of years that they did in order for us to be here today, there had to be both sides working for a greater good in a sense, you know, so. Yeah, I'm sure everybody in the clan basically worked for the, the greater good. Um, everybody would have been extremely valuable to their survival of the clan as a whole. And um, they had to make the, the best use of each individual. You know, um, I, I just don't think that there was much choice. Everybody had to work to the best of their ability and and I would think that the, you know, I guess our communities, you know, you're, you're the ones who follow you and listen to you or the ones who follow me, listen to me, understand that, you know, there had to be a give and take on both sides. You know, there's no uh, stereotyping between a male and female in those times because it just, it took, it took both sides to, you know, again, to thrive and, and, and survive, you know? So. Right. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. You had to work together. You had to be a team. 
So now let's uh, sort of step back. Was there any other thing you wanted to talk about on your Dreamer Literary Productions? Now, do you do outside work in a sense? Like, do you, uh, does Dreamer Literary Productions produce books for other authors or, or are you not at that point? Um, I've been approached to uh, work with other authors. Um Nothing has come to fruition at this point, and I would be open to the possibility, but um, thus far, it's just my own books. Gotcha, and I'm sure that's taken up enough of the time of the production <laughs> right. company, because <laughs> you just don't seem to stop, Meg. I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a, definitely a labor of love. You know, as I say, I would be doing this even if nobody ever read my books. It's... Um, you know, some people ask me um, how I manage to produce these books and, you know, when do I find the time to do it? And I say, well, you know, some people watch television. I write, <laughs> you know, it's just what I do. <laughs> well, we appreciate it. I assure you that all of your fans greatly appreciate it and all the hard work that you do to put into it. It's definitely greatly appreciated. Well, I, I hope so. As I said before, it means the world to me when uh, when people write to me and tell me how much they enjoy the books. Very good. Now, so uh, definitely want to mention um, your webpage, dreamerliteraryproductions.com. And like I said in the first interview with you, my goodness, is there just so much information on that webpage? So much. It's it's fantastic. I love it, and I. I dive into it as often as I can and, uh, you know, find myself in there for quite some time reading through everything. So, Oh, well, thanks. Yeah. I try to add to it when I can. I'm actually hoping to be able to put up a bunch more material in the near future. I've just been a little bit bogged down with working on the manuscript for book six right now, but, um, once it, uh, it gets to the point where it goes out for proofing. Then at that point, I get a little bit of a break from it. And uh, in between the proofing and the layout, and then I hope to do a little bit more work on my website. Well, well I, I definitely want to thank you for, and I noticed on here that you have links to my podcast and I greatly appreciate that. And the, the one thing that I, I like as well is it's, it's like you're being, which is a good thing. You're becoming almost like a, uh, I don't know, I'll just say a grand central station for, you know, um, podcasts or YouTubes or anything about Neanderthals. I see that you have a lot of links on her that lead you to different, you know, videos or different podcasts or different stories. And that's, I think that's, uh, that's pretty awesome to do something like that, you know, kind of gives you just one, one space to go to that'll lead you out to the different branches of it. Well, I, I hope it's one of many places that people can go to who are interested in um, in life during ancient times and ancient peoples. Um, I encourage people to, you know, who have these interests to look at as many sources as they can because there's something to be gleaned from, you know, from almost any site that covers this material. And that's why whenever I see anything um, that's at all relevant, I, uh, I read it and um, 
even if uh, a lot of it is information they already knew, there's usually some little nugget that I can pick up on that just adds to my store of information. Again, greatly appreciated, without a doubt. And, and I hope, I hope it, uh, but I'm sure they will. A lot of, and, and I, hopefully they have already gone to your site, even from the previous uh, episodes or, you know, any other interviews that you've done. Um, you know, I hope that it's led some traffic to it because it is a, uh, a, a, a very well put together, but uh, very, uh, boy, I, I don't know what word I want to use. There's a lot of avenues to go from your website. <laughs> so appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. And I just want to point out too, that when I'm stating my, um, my own opinion, that it, that it is my own opinion very often when I'm looking at, um, you know, sometimes dozens of resources for one particular topic, um, a lot of those resources will not agree. You know, there's no one single conclusion and I have to sort of draw my own conclusion. So um, I just caution people to keep in mind that my conclusions are simply my conclusions and that, uh, you know, that they should check it out on their own, use it as a leaping off point and um, see what they want to decide on their own. Very good. So look, coming to the end here, um, is there, Meg, is there anything that uh, uh, we didn't talk about that you, that you want to share with our communities? Anything that we didn't go over or anything that came um, to mind? I don't think so. I, I think we've pretty much covered everything. And again, I want to thank you so much for having me on. Um, I love having opportunities to uh, discuss ancient life and ancient peoples with someone. Uh, <laughs> I, I think most of my friends and family know now not to get me started <laughs> on the subjects because um, they've heard it all already. <laughs> well, that's, 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 yeah, just they shows know my the passion. passion. They, yeah. yeah. They know not to, uh, to get me going. <laughs> <laughs> Well, again, uh, Meg, thank you so much. I, I appreciate you coming on yet again, um, oh, you know, so to, to sit down with me. And, um, you know, once those books are ready to come out, you know, the next book and then the next series, once those are ready to come out, uh, definitely uh, uh, get in touch with me and we'll get you on here to do, do a good promotion, hopefully for those whenever you're ready. I will. Thank you so much. All right, Meg. Well, enjoy your weekend and, uh, well. definitely, yeah, I look forward to sitting down with you yet again. Yes, I would look forward to it too. And again, thank you so much, Anthony. I, I so appreciate this. All right, Meg. Thank you. Bye now. Bye-bye. <laughs> Cave dwellers. I am so excited I was able to sit back down with Meg and bring her beautiful soul to your ears once again. I promise you that will not be the last time we hear from Meg on the Neanderthal Mind. I know my community loved that conversation, and I appreciate you coming to the Neanderthal Mind every episode. So with that, make sure you join me next episode as we sit down with Epiphany Jordan to discuss how we evolved with touch, be it from primates or as early humans, and why touch is integral to our biology and our survival. So, until next time, cave dwellers, make sure you check out the plethora of awesome information Meg has on her site, 
and you'll get them links in the show notes. So again, until next time, cave dwellers. Thanks for listening to the Nanothal Mind podcast. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. If you love what you've heard, please subscribe, rate, and review the Neanderthal Mind podcast wherever you download your podcasts. And if you know anyone that you think would enjoy this podcast as much as we hope you have, please recommend the Neanderthal Mind to them. Until next episode, my fellow cave dwellers, don't forget, leave your cave drawings and comments on our wall at theneanderthalmind.com.